0: Okay, well, I'm Julie Coleman. I'm part of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. Uh, There's four of us that share the podium, and this is my week. So um, we're going to be continuing our series on the book of Mark. And today, something big is about to be revealed. We're going to reveal something today. Everybody's complaining that they don't know what we're revealing. But here it is. It's it's the very heart of God. It's what we're going to be talking about. So when I was at Annapolis Area Christian School, I taught there for a number of years, 12 years there, And um, we always used to meet at the very beginning of the year, and we would do like this, you know, orientation, rah-rah kind of thing. And one of the things that we did was there was always a verse picked out for the year that was going to be the theme for the year for the entire school. So all the schools were there, elementary, middle, and upper school, and we joined together to do that. Well, one of the the years, the superintendent had us get into groups, mixed groups of all the three schools, and we had to discuss this verse, and this is what the verse was. It was from Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what did that mean? Walk worthy of the Lord. Those words are kind of intimidating, aren't they? Could we ever be worthy? So we started talking, and these are some of the suggestions that came from my group. Well, don't Drink too much alcohol. As a matter of fact, avoid going into liquor stores at all because people might see you. Watch your speech. Avoid foul language. Work with integrity. Be kind and good to people. Be a good witness. Feed the poor. Help the oppressed. And as this list grew of, being, of walking worthy in the Lord, I started to rate myself. Where do I fit on that scale of good things? And I started to look around and think, I bet they're doing better at this than I am, comparing myself with other people. Now keep that story in mind. I'm going to tell you one more. Uh, A few years ago, um, I was bringing an elderly gentleman. You all know him. or A lot of you knew him from before. And um, he was um, going to visit somebody in the nursing home and needed a ride. So as I was bringing him, we had a nice little talk. And one of the things he said, confessed to me, was, I don't think I'm doing enough for the Lord. Okay, so the man was 98. So I said, so what do you think the Lord wants you to do? Well, he wasn't sure. And But he did have a lot of guilt. He had these guilty feelings. And I started to suspect that probably those guilty feelings have been on his shoulders for a really long time. That he'd always been worried that he wasn't doing enough. Why? Because most of us are carrying that kind of guilt. Are we doing enough? Are we walking worthy? When is enough enough? What is God expecting from us? What's what's important to him? Well, if you've ever struggled with this, and I have, I'm assuming you have too, and you're worrying, am I walking worthy of the Lord? Um, Today's passage is for you. First, we're going to take a close look at what was said in the conversation Uh, between Jesus and a Jewish leader, a scribe, about setting our spiritual priorities. Then we're going to find a practical way to apply what we learn um, to our own lives at present. And hopefully, we'll be able to put all of our insecurities and worries about what we're we're doing for God to rest. So what we're about to read um, from Mark chapter 12 is a, a conversation that took place in the temple, and it was during the week before Jesus' crucifixion. So he's already had the triumphal entry and uh, and he had a conversation that went on with the Sadducees about resurrection and eternal life, which is kind of interesting that they would even bring it up because they didn't even believe in it. But they were having this conversation with Jesus. And as they spoke, one of the scribes walked by and he was intrigued by what Jesus was saying. So he stopped to talk to Jesus himself. So let's take a look at Mark. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well. Asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. So let's just ask God's help this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful passage. Please guide my words that they would build your kingdom. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So whenever I start on a passage of Scripture, the first thing I do is start asking questions. Why this? How come this? What was this? Those things, because questions are a great way to kind of guide your study and to show you things that you need to look into. And so I have several questions that I came up with, and I'm going to start with those because they may be the same questions you have. First of all, what is a scribe? Well, from history, we learned that the scribe was a learned class of men who spent their lifetime studying the scriptures. They were either copyists or editors or teachers, sometimes all three. Um, They began their training at age 14, and they were not ordained officially as a scribe until age 40. That's a heck of a long time, but that's what they were. And they came from a variety of political parties, I was surprised to read. Um, There were some Pharisees that were scribes, there were some Sadducees that were scribes, and there were also some priests. So they were well represented within the political realm of Israel. Most of the scribes came from the working class. They weren't paid for their services, and so they actually had to earn a living in addition to their duties. They were so respected that their interpretation of the law sometimes would take precedence over the law itself. And so there's a lot of uh, famous people that served as scribes, and these names might sound familiar to some of you. Josephus was a scribe. Hillel was a scribe. Gamaliel, in Acts, and Nicodemus, all scribes. So it just kind of gives you an idea. So Jesus interacted with them quite often, and the scribes, uh, they they had prideful attitudes. They were professionally privileged. People looked up to them, and a lot of times, that brings pride along with it. And a lot of times, they would come and confront Jesus, trying to discredit him. Um, And so Jesus actually pointed out their hypocrisy, In Matthew 23, there's a bunch of woe to you, woe to you. And this is what every little section starts with. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So it kind of gives you an idea um, about this. But this scribe might have been a little different. Because no doubt, uh, in our passage today, uh, the scribe had many interactions with the other scribes. And some of them were Sadducees, and some of them were priests, and I'm sure they had some pretty heated discussions because they believed different things. But I would guess, based on this passage, that he most likely agreed with Jesus about there being a resurrection. Most scribes did. In Mark, scribes frequently appear in the company of the Pharisees, and those people did believe in the resurrection, so I think we can assume that he did too. Also, Mark tells us that he listened, he thought Jesus had answered the Sadducees well. Um, The original Greek word is also translated beautifully, fine, or excellently. And judging from what else that he said in the interaction, no doubt he was impressed with Jesus. And Why? why? Maybe because Jesus brought the matter of the resurrection um, and life afterwards back to God. Remember, Jesus told them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, and you are greatly mistaken. The scribe heard him say that. And so he probably thought, this is a guy worth talking to. You can picture it. So he approaches Jesus and he asks him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Now, you need to know that this question was not uncommon at that time. People debated it a lot. And um, Jesus actually had been asked this before, and we'll look into that in a little bit. But Jesus answers by quoting the first lines of the Shema. Now, the Shema was a prayer that Jewish men would pray every single morning. And it was based on uh, uh, several verses, but one of them was Deuteronomy 6.4. And this is how they would start to pray. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's what Deuteronomy says. But that's not exactly what Jesus said. I don't know if you noticed or not. There's a difference in what Jesus said to Deuteronomy, the Shema, and also the scribe said something different too. So look at this. Deuteronomy lists three. Heart, soul, might. Jesus says, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the scribe agreeing with Jesus says, love him with all the heart, understanding, and strength. So they're all a little bit different. And so we think, well, which, which is, it? is it? Four things, three things, what are the three things? Everybody's saying something a little bit different. Well, there's something um, in the Greek that's called a um, There was I talked about a hendia, hendia no, I'm not going to be able to say it, forget it. There's one that's two in one, but a hendia tetris is four in one. So um, they express four words to express one idea. Does that make sense? So um, that's how they're used in Scripture. And and even uh, there's an overlap of all those things, heart, soul, mind, strength, understanding, all those things between them by definition. So they kind of overlap each other. So I really think that Deuteronomy, Jesus, and the scribe are all saying the same thing. Love the Lord with all you are and all you do. You'll notice that that word "all" is all over the place. Every single thing is all of this, all of this, all of that. All three of them said that. So I think it gets the idea of pretty clearly. But then Jesus gives a second command after he's gotten past the Shema command, and he says, "Love your neighbor, um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself." And that's from the verse in Leviticus. 19.18, which says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, he picked that out of another place, and it's, but the thing is, loving your neighbor was not an uncommon thing that was held highly um, in the Jewish society. It wasn't uncommon at all. As a matter of fact, we have some records of other scholars um, who talked about loving your neighbor. Hillel wrote, which you, your, what, do you, what you yourself hate, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Simon the Just says, By three things is the world, world sustained. By the law, by the temple service, and by deeds of loving kindness. And finally, Rabbi akib says, But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the encompassing principle of the law. So Jesus wasn't really saying anything new here. It were, these were all things that had been talked about and discussed among many scholars. And even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave this idea. In Matthew 7 12, he says, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And then finally, Jesus says, There's no other commandment greater than these to the scribe. So then I started to wonder. You know, there's 613 commands in the law of Moses. 613. And Jesus picks two and says they're the most important ones. And what really struck me was none of these are from the Ten Commandments. Now, we all know the Ten Commandments, right? I was, you know, I I can remember when I was in first grade, I had a bracelet that had all the Ten Commandments on it. And I used to show them to people. I was very proud of that bracelet. But... Ten Commandments were very big for the Jewish person. They were the very first laws that God, God sent Moses down with um, when he was up at Mount Sinai. So here they are. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols and worship them. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. So as important as these rules were to the Jewish people, why didn't any of them make it into Jesus' statement? Well, I started thinking about it, and I want you to take a look at the first four. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols in worship. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, remember the Sabbath, and keep it holy. All four of those things are between us and God. They're a vertical thing, right? Now let's look at the second six. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. All six of these are between human and human. So you've got vertical and you've got horizontal. Right? I think that Jesus' answer embodied both groups. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's with God. Your neighbor is yourself. That's with each other. And I think that's what Jesus was doing there. He was embodying all ten commandments. And what he does, keeps centered around the nature and character of God. So I had one more question, because I'm familiar with the Gospels and how uh, this story is retold in other Gospels, or Gospel, in in um, in Matthew. But why was Jesus so positive about this scribe? You remember, the scribes are always coming and trying to discredit Jesus, but he speaks to the man and commends him, really, and encourages him. In Matthew, the same conversation is held. And I'm telling you, Matthew, not so positive in the way he looks at it. He says, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. That's not positive. And then Matthew doesn't even say what the scribe's response was, which was what Jesus commended. Not at all. Matthew was using this story on a, different, on a different point. Mark is using this story. And what we have to do is figure out why is this story so different in Mark because that gives us the message that Mark's trying to convey. Mark has none of that dark tone. In fact, Jesus is downright positive. And, and the scribe is positive too. He says, right, teacher, you have truly stated that. And that truly stated means accurate. Accurately stated. And then Jesus says that he saw he had answered intelligently. And, you, and he tells him, you are not far from the kingdom. Positive, right? So for a while, I was a little stumped. Why would they have two different, differing approaches um, in telling the story? And as I did, the Lord kept bringing to mind to me, and I finally started listening to him, This this other time in Mark, because we're looking for Mark's message, right? Other time in Mark where Jesus talked about the greatest commandments. Now, he wasn't asked that question. It was in chapter 10 with a rich man. We've actually gone through that here in New Hope. Um, But I set them side by side, and something very interesting started to pop out at me. Here's the rich man. He owned much property, and his question to Jesus is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He knows the law because he, he tells Jesus, I've done all of those things. Kept them since a the childhood, right? And, but what is he doing? He's putting his priority on his actions. What can I do? Are you getting that? Okay, then finally, Jesus, this is what he says. One thing you lack. You're missing something. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And of course, the man... Gets very upset when he hears that, and he goes away very sad because he's not willing. What he owns is much more important to him than his relationship with God. But then take a look at our scribe today. He was working class, so not, not in that higher realm of uh, finances, and he asked Jesus, what do you think is the greatest commandment? He's not asking what he's supposed to do. He's asking what God wants, Okay. And then, of course, he knows the law. He is a scribe. And what what does he do? He puts priority on the heart of God. And when he he talks about, and I will get to that in just a second. But if if he puts priority on the heart of God, and what does Jesus tell him? You are not far from the kingdom. But then he adds a comment to me, the scribe adds a comment to me, that shows the depth of his understanding. He says, you know, you're right to love with all your heart and all your understanding and all your strength, and get this, is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Well, that's an interesting statement to throw in there in the end. Well, if you read much of the Old Testament, that idea is kind of familiar. You've probably heard it before. It was first said to King Saul. He had directly disobeyed a commandment from God and taking booty out of a city that he had just conquered, and he lied trying to get around it. And finally he decides, okay, yeah, I did it. Then he finally says to Samuel, the prophet who's speaking with him, he says, come with me, I want to do some sacrifices in front of the people, and if you're with me, they'll give me their approval. And this is what Samuel tells him. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed to the fat, uh, um, heed than the fat of rams. Now, King David, next generation, later entered that same sentiment. Talked about that. I'm sure you learned a good lesson from Saul, negative lesson, but still. And he was in sin with Bathsheba and all that adultery thing. And so, what did he do? He starts writing this psalm to try to. You know, confess and, and get right with God again. And this is what he says a part of it. You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The Bible tells us David was a man after God's own heart. And then Isaiah was getting ready to go out to the people. God was calling him to be a prophet and to be um, a spokesman for him. And this is what he tells Isaiah at some point in his ministry. This people draw near with their words and honor me with lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their vengeance re, re, reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. So the doing that comes from some kind of religious obligation doesn't impress God in the least. It's not what he's after. What does he want? He wants our hearts first. Because anything we do without loving him is putting the cart before the horse. Our love for him needs to be our motivation. It needs to be our strength. Because when we love him first, we understand that any act of service that we do or he enables us to do is in a response to his mercy and grace. And how we treat others, if we're doing it out of the love of God, we will do it with sincerity and compassion because we are finding it, we are finding it that we can look at somebody through the eyes of God. All right, so we get to the so what? How should knowing the greatest command impact us today? Well, I told you we were going to answer a question. How much should we do for God? What's enough? But you know what? it's really the wrong question to ask. The question should be, how can I love the Lord with all that I am and do? Because that is the key to everything else, including all the service that we want to give him. So if we need to love him with all our heart, what does that mean? How are we going to conjure that up? And we keep increasing it all the time. How are we going to do that? Well, Paul answers that in his letters to the Ephesians. He says, He says, He's praying for them and he says, I'm praying that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Filled up to the fullness of God. Filled up. full, right? Well, how do we get that? Paul tells us we need to comprehend and know the love of God. Love of Christ. So, do you want to know and love God more? I mean, he's big. And it's going to take us our lifetimes and an eternity to really know him completely. But the thing is, the more we comprehend and we know, the greater our love for him grows. It's just that simple. So don't waste time trying to build up some kind of great feeling or upswelling of love in your heart. Get into your Bible and look. Because when you know and understand him, that love is going to well up in your heart, quite naturally. Because to know and understand him is to love him. And that loving your neighbor part, that will be an overflow of the love you have for him. You're going to be filled up to all the fullness of God. It has to start with the heart. Otherwise, it becomes about you doing things for him, and that's a bad path to take. You know, I have a nephew who uh, was... uh, had a tough childhood, a very hard dad who was very hard on him. And he was always a little cowed and a little insecure, and he struggled. Nice kid. I always loved him. I love him. He's still alive. <laughs> but anyway, one day he met his future wife. And when he did, he went through a whole personality change because he knew he was loved unconditionally and completely. And that made a huge difference in how this kid acted and still has to this day, that's what happens when we're loved completely. And you are. We all are. God could not love us anymore. As a matter of fact, his love is perfect. So nothing we can do would make him love us more. It's already all there is. So how do we look into the Bible then? Where do you begin? How do you dig deeper? Um, Well, a lot of people, and I had somebody last week come to me and say, you know what, I want to read the Bible, I read it, and I'm really getting nothing out of it. I I can't get past, you know, the superficial, and it's not working for me. Or maybe you're so busy doing things for the Lord that you're neglecting the loving Him. Well, in the Bible, there's so much to look at and investigate and discover about God, how He interacts with individuals, what He values, what His desire is for us, his master plan from the beginning of time to bring Jesus into the world and save us from our sins, His second coming that's going to happen eventually, character traits, how he defines himself in his word. There are also techniques that I have learned in seminary that really will help us to get past the surface and into deeper truth. And so what I did was I wrote a sheet about how to dig past the surface when you're looking at a passage. Sitting right over there on that table, there's another set of them, same sheet, sitting in a a cafe table. And I want you to take one and try it out. Try some of these things out. Well, I could do this. They're not hard. Believe me, it's not rocket science. But if you go through, and not every passage, not everything works for every passage, but as you go through and you look at that list, you're going to start digging deeper and things are going to start emerging for you. And you're going to love the Lord more. And the Bible promises that when we seek God, that you will, if you, you will seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you search for him with all your heart and all your soul, it's promised over and over in the Bible. He's ready and waiting to reveal himself to us. So we need to make a habit out of learning about him to grow our love for him. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for showing us what's most important to you. I know I speak for everyone in this room that we want to love you, know you, and love you more. We want our love for you to be expressed in how we're treating people around us. So I'd like to ask you for help this week, for all of us, that we'd make the time to search for what we might not yet know about you. And with your Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to us through your word. Because, God, you really do deserve all our heart, all our soul, all our might, all our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.